Good morning. This is the nervous part of the service for me. Uh, always starts off that way, um, but I'm glad you chose to worship with us uh, today. It is uh, the last Sabbath before the new year, and we're glad you chose to be here. Today, let's, uh, if you want to open your Bibles to where the uh, scripture reading was, let's talk a little bit about talents. We're all familiar with this parable, and uh, the question I have is, what is it really about? In the first place, the, uh, the Lord here, the master, sounds so harsh, doesn't he? But who is the master supposed to represent? The Lord, Jesus, God. And, and so it seems harsh to me the way he treated that one servant. But what's it really all about? So let's look at Matthew 25, and let's look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So it's talking about this parable saying it's like the kingdom of heaven. And now if you'll jump down a few verses, I don't want to read it all because I'm sure you have lunch to eat someplace. Uh, but if you look down, let's look at verse 30 and 31. I'm skipping down because everybody's familiar with this. But verse 30 and 31 says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as you read about the parable, my first thought is it's probably not talking about making money. It's probably not a a class on how a servant should multiply their talents. And so what is it really talking about? In verse 21, the master says to the good servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And in verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. Verse 27, you ought to have done something. That's my paraphrase. You ought to have done something. I think that's really what it's talking about. The servant ought to have done something, but he did nothing. Well, I think you can agree when we're talking about this, it's not necessarily has anything to do with making money. We all know that money doesn't get you into the kingdom. In fact, for some people, it could be a strong hindrance to enter in. We've seen many, it seemed like when Israel was in their glory years, uh, they were the farthest from God as, as they could be. Now, Don't get me wrong, the word talent here, if you look it up in your concordance, you'll find out it was talking about money. In fact, that talent in today's money would be about a million dollars per talent. That's a a good chunk of change, as they would say. But the overall story has something else in it that we need to know what it's about. An entirely different issue. Now, my Bible has a cross-reference there. Maybe that'll help. Uh, why don't you turn to First Peter chapter four? First Peter chapter four, and we're going to read verses seven 
through 11. I'll give you a second to find it. I had a bookmark there. I knew where I was headed. So, but it might take you a minute. That's 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. And it says, in my subtitles, serving for God's glory. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards or servants of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever. That's one of the cross-reference texts talking about a person using their gift or talent. Gifts and talents are kind of cross-referenced here. One more. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's just back a few chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So, who gives these gifts or talents? Did it say God, God, God? Just like the parable, God gives the gifts or the talents or the opportunities. Now, it says, let every man use this gift to minister one to another. In verse 5 of this same text, they do different things, but who is it that's working in them? Who, who's doing the work with them? It's God, right? God is the one that's doing with them. Um, every man, every person, just like the parable, gets a gift. Even the lazy servant got a gift, Right? So what are these gifts? They're opportunities. And what are the, when in the parable, when the servants multiplied their talents and, and God was, or the Lord, was happy with them, and uh, what did he tell them to do? Use them, use them, use them. And that's, I think, what this whole um, parable is about. It's about talents or gifts. And what is it for? It's to profit. But who does it profit? Does it profit the servants? No. You know, some 
churches um, use the gifts to glorify the people that have the gifts. And, and we know that that's not biblical, that these gifts are here for us to glorify God with the talent or gift he, he gives each of us. So we all have talents or gifts. It's God's way of showing every person is important to him. Every person. I, I bring this, even the lazy servant got a gift. At least one. Some people have more gifts than others. You know that. And people are like snowflakes. You know, no two of us are alike, but we're all beautiful in God's eyes. And he loves every one of you. And me too. God made you special and unique. And in God's family, each of you have a special place that's just for you to fill. He's given us all one gift or more. And you have to trust him that the one he gave you, or two, or three, is the right one. Now, I know that when you look at yourself, there's two types of people, you know. Some people look at themselves and all they see is wonderful. <laughs> you know some of those. And some people look at themselves and all they see is, oh, I'm worthless. And we know those also. But even those people that consider themselves worthless are not. They're special to God and they have gifts also. His gift is in you. Now, since God created you, he sees things in you and the potential that you have that maybe you don't see. And so you have to trust that God has given you the right gift for the right time, for the right place to be used for his glory. Now, the devil, who does not like God, wants to discourage you from using your gift. Why? Because the gift God gave you could be used to glorify God. And so if the devil can scare you into thinking that your little gift is, isn't that important. It really wouldn't make any difference. He's cheating you out of the joy that you could receive like one of those servants who multiplied their talents. And so don't let the devil scare you or make you think that your gift is worthless. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is of the world. Amen? You know, little things can sometimes make a big difference. And I'm going to talk about gifts and talents, and I'm going to throw one more little thing in there that I think is, is a gift, and it's called opportunity. The little boy that had the lunch, the loaves and fishes, we've heard about him, right? No, it's not a big deal for little boys to have lunches. But it was for that little boy because he donated it to the cause and Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes into a miracle that without those loaves and fishes, what would have happened? There not, wouldn't have been much of a story, would there? See, it's just a small thing. He had a gift or a talent. I think his gift was probably the gift of generosity. He was willing to share what he had. The widow who went to church just had two little coins. You wouldn't call that like um, a lot. But what did she do with it? She put it in an offering plate. And we all know the story today. 
Those two little coins made a huge difference in everybody's life from then on because we know now that God wants us to be generous, to do what we can with what we have. Some of you know Sadie Woodard. How many of you know Sadie? She's, she's passed on, but many of us know her. I want to tell you, she was a quiet lady um, who had a gift that lots of you never knew about. Her gift was prayer. And um, lots of you that know my life story know I, I wandered off into dark space for a long time before I came back. And Sadie, after I came back and was baptized, told me that she had been praying for me every day for 12 years. Every day. You probably didn't know that. (laughs) But God knew that. And you know, I didn't know it at the time, but as I look back, I can think of little things that pop up. Even though I was wandering away from God, I'd have this thought every now and then of something I should do. I really needed God. I really missed him. I, I pushed it away, of course. But eventually, eventually it came to pass. And I think that, that the little gift that Sadie had, that she prayed for a guy for 12 years every day, made a big difference to me. And I'm thankful she did that. And there might be someone here that has that same gift. So, if in your opinion, your gift is insignificant, that's the devil talking in your left ear. Close it, because everybody's gift is significant. Let me tell you about opinions. Back when I was 20-something, I worked for a hard boss, my dad. And my dad worked for Sashi's dad. And we were um, working on a, on a rough job. We were cutting down trees, um, making right-of-way, so they could put a pipeline from Louisiana all the way up to Canada. And we had that little stretch in between Madison and the UP that was our stretch of woods that we cleared off. And uh, I could run a chainsaw. My dad was in a, in a tree surgery business before he went to work for dad, Sashi's dad. And so we, we uh, knew how to cut trees. My dad knew how to cut trees. And uh, how many of you know how to cut a tree down? You've seen it. Ever do it? I want to tell you something about trees. When you look at a tree, if you want it to fall a certain way, you have to get down and look at, look right up into the limbs. And if you look at a tree and you kind of have an imaginary line that runs up, you look from a couple different angles, you'll see that on one side of the tree there either has more branches or heavier branches or it has a little bit of a lean. Now, if you want to cut a tree down... It's easier to cut it the way it's already leaning or on the heavy side. And so when you look at that, we're cutting the right away. It's about uh, 75 feet wide. If the tree falls over into the other trees, it hangs up and makes it difficult to get down. So you have to figure out a way to make it fall where you want it to fall. So they have a thing called a notch. A notch is like a, like a, it's like a piece of pie skinny on the end and wide here. Now, if you look up and you see the tree's going to fall a certain way, if you put the notch in one of three ways, you can make it fall, if you're good, three different directions. Not only the way it's leaning, but you can 
make it twist around what hits the notch, it'll pull it right around and fall a different direction. Now, you can make it go three ways. You can't make it go four because it won't go backwards against itself. But you can make it go three different ways. So while my dad and I were working on this um, right away, and I, I like cutting down trees. I still do. My wife doesn't like me to do it because she's afraid I'll get hurt. But I like cutting down trees. And so... I, I picked the biggest tree in this whole property. It was about a 90-foot-tall white pine. And you know something about it, when you put that notch in and you make it fall the way you want to, and that big thump when it hits the ground, it's kind of exciting, you know? It's like, wow, look what I did. I'm a little bit deaf in my right ear today because all that time we didn't wear ear protection. And I'm left-handed, so I hold the saw like this. So when you're down with your ear to the ground, all that noise comes back. And my dad was left... Uh, deaf in his left ear because he's right-handed. We never figured it out till years later. <clears throat> but that's the way it works. Anyways, I got this big white pine tree. I got it notched to fall right down the middle of the right away. It wants to go right, but I'm going to make it go right down the middle. So I'm cutting away. Now, when you put the notch in, on the back side, you do a cut. They call it a back cut. What, what you do is you, you release some of the tree's fiber that's holding it up. And so as you cut in, and you have to cut above the notch, by the way. If you cut below, it won't work. So you cut above the notch. As you cut in, all of a sudden the fiber that's holding the tree up starts giving away, and the tree starts going. So I'm there cutting away, and I look, and there's my dad standing down in the middle of the right-of-way, right where this tree is going to fall. And so I stopped and said, Dad, move. This tree is going to fall right on you. And... Uh, my dad, who was the boss, an Italian, said, that's not going to hit me. And I said, but dad, it looks like it's going to hit you. It's not going to hit me. I said, but dad, I don't want to cut it down. I am the boss. Cut that sucker down. <laughs> so I, I did the back cut. So it started falling. I wish I could take it back because I just knew it was going to hit him. But he, get, he made me mad. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I cut it, and it started falling faster and faster. Whack! And I looked, and my dad wasn't standing up anymore. And I ran down there to, to, to get him up. And it's fortunate just the end limbs hit him, but he stood up out of the end of the tree, and he said, uh, I guess you're right. <laughs> His opinion was that the tree wasn't going to hit him. And my opinion was it was. And I was right and he was wrong. And if he'd have been about two feet over, he'd have got the trunk and he'd be dead because of his opinion. And that's why opinions can be so dangerous. You know, he had neck problems the rest of his life. Years later, he'd say, yeah, I should have listened to you, son. I should have listened to you. But... Our opinions can be very dangerous to us also. If we cling to and defend our opinions instead of openly looking to discover the facts, we can end up on the wrong side of the kingdom, the outside. Because, you know, there's only one opinion that really makes any difference in spiritual matters, and that's God's opinion. Not my opinion. Not your opinion, just God's opinion. 
We learn his opinion by reading his Bible. You know, there's many churches out there today. This is one also. But nothing found in a catechism or a creed, articles of faith, or church doctrine book make any difference at all if it doesn't agree with Scripture. No matter which church you belong to, God's answer is the final answer. (laughs) He's always right. And we need to listen. It's his opinion that counts. If your opinion is the most important to you, you're actually breaking the first commandment, which says thou should have no other gods before you. And so we always have to keep our eyes open and in God's word to find out what he really wants us to do. Think about if you're born a Jew in Jesus' day, the Christmas we just celebrated on Crucifixion Day. If you didn't listen to any other opinion, you might be one of the people there thinking that Jesus needed to be done away with because he was upsetting tradition. And so it's always God's opinion that counts. Because God is our God, we need to do what he wants us to do. When he wants us to do it. Um, not in your own sweet time. You know, if your boss asks you to, to do a project, for those of you that are working, for those of you that aren't, just think about maybe that's how it used to be when you're retired now, but when, when your boss wanted you to do something, didn't you do it? Yep. What if boss said, hey, I want you to be over on this project Monday morning? You showed up Tuesday because Monday wasn't convenient for you. <laughs> Tuesday was much better, fit into your schedule. You, you think your boss would be unhappy? Yeah, I think he'd be unhappy. You know, man and his friend were discussing uh, church worship services. They had different opinions on what was right. Um, finally, after all the arguing back and forth over who was right, uh, the one man said, I can see we're never going to agree. So you worship God in your way, and I'll worship him in his That's kind of clever. But we have to make sure that we know his way and we worship him in his way. You know, there's only one place in Scripture where the uh, word opinions is even found. It's in 1 Kings 18, um, verse 21. And you don't have to turn there unless you want to, but I can tell you the story. I bet you know what it is. If I tell you the phrase, how long halt you between two opinions? Who said that? Remember, up on a mountain someplace, Elijah. And he was talking to the people. Remember, the people were, some of them were worshiping Baal. And few of them were worshiping the, few, uh, the true God. And a few of them, probably a bunch of them, were in the middle. They didn't make any choice at all. And so they were up there on top of this mountain. It hadn't rained for years. And Elijah said, let's test to see whose God is really God. And so they built altars, and they put offerings on the altars. And then Elijah's idea was, let's let the God who's really God light his own offering. And you remember the the priests of Baal, they were cutting themselves and doing their chants. They had groups singing. They had all kinds of stuff. 
but no fire fell. And finally, at the end of the day, Elijah had him pour a bunch of water on the altar, make sure it was wet, wet, wet. And I'm sure all the priests were looking to make sure he didn't have anything. Well, they didn't have any bicks back then, but he wanted to make sure he, he, he didn't have anything could light it. And so when he prayed that God would light it, fire fell from heaven and lit that thing up. And it burned. The offering, the rocks, everything, dust. When God does something, he knows how to do it. And what all the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, you and I stand on that very same mountain every day, don't we? Making a choice whether we'll follow the world or whether we'll follow God. And sometimes I have to admit, I just wish that God would light something up to make that choice so easy so I could tell my friends, hey, (laughs) if you were there, you'd do the same thing because you can see what God does. But we don't often have that opportunity. God does give us wonderful examples in Scripture, and God does still work miracles when we ask him, and we can share those with people. But our choices we make every day are not manifest by what we say, they're manifest by what we do. I want to read a little story with you. It's a it's a, a true story sent to me by my brother-in-law. By the way, I encourage all stories, my email, send them. I'll use them sometime. He sent me this two years ago, and I just found a place for it. Um, Good morning, said a woman, as she walked up to the man sitting on ground. The man slowly looked up. This was a woman clearly accustomed to the finer things of life. Her coat was new. She looked like she had never missed a meal in her life. His first thought was that she wanted to make fun of him like so many others had done before. Leave me alone, he growled. To his amazement, the woman continued standing. She was smiling. Her even white teeth displayed in dazzling rows. Are you hungry, she asked. No, he said sarcastically. I just came from dining with the president. Now go away. The woman's smile became even broader. Suddenly the man felt a gentle hand under his arm. What are you doing, lady? The man asked angrily. I said, leave me alone. Just then a policeman came up. Is there a problem, ma'am? He asked. No problem here, officer, the woman answered. I'm just trying to get this man to his feet. Will you help me? The officer scratched his head. Why, that's old Jack. He's been a fixture around here for a couple of years. What do you want with him? See that cafeteria over there, she asked. I'm going to get him something to eat and get him up out of the cold for a while. Are you crazy, lady? The homeless man resisted. I don't want to go in there. Then he felt strong hands grab his other shoulder and lift him up. Let me go, officer. I didn't do anything wrong. That's a good deal for you, Jack. The officer answered, don't blow it. Finally, and with some difficulty, the woman and the police officer got Jack into the cafeteria and sat him at a table in a remote corner. It was the middle of the morning, so the most of the breakfast crowd had already left, and the lunch bunch had uh, yet to arrive. The manager strode across the cafeteria and stood by his table. What's going on here, officer? What is all this? Is this man in trouble? 
This lady brought this man in here to be fed, the policeman answered. Not in here, the manager replied angrily. Having a person like that in here is bad for business. Old Jack smiled a toothless grin. See, lady, I told you so. Now, if you just let me go, I didn't want to come in here in the first place. The woman turned to the cafeteria manager and smiled. Sir, are you familiar with Eddie and Associates, the banking firm down the street? Of course I am, the manager answered impatiently. They hold their weekly meetings in one of my banquet rooms. Do you make a godly amount of money providing food at those uh, weekly meetings? What business is that of yours? I, sir, am Penelope Eddy, president and CEO of that company. Oh, the woman smiled again. I thought that might make a difference. She glanced at the cop who was busy uh, stifling a giggle. Would you like to join us for a, a cup of coffee and a meal, officer? No, thanks, ma'am, the officer replied. I'm on duty. Then perhaps a cup of coffee to go? Yes, ma'am, that'd be very nice. The cafeteria manager turned on his heel. I'll get your coffee for you right away, officer. Officer watched him walk away. You certainly put him in his place, he said. That was not my intent. Believe it or not, I have a reason for all of this. She sat down at the table across from her amazed dinner guest. She stared at him intently. Jack? Do you remember me? Old Jack searched her face with his old eyes. I think so. I mean, you do look kind of familiar. I'm a little older, perhaps, she said. Maybe I've even filled out more than in my younger days when you worked here and I came through that very door cold and hungry. Ma'am, the officer said questioningly. He couldn't believe that such a magnificently turned out woman could have ever been hungry. I was just out of college, the woman began. I came to the city looking for a job, but I couldn't find anything. Finally, I was down to my last few cents. I had been kicked out of my apartment. I walked the street for days. It was February, and I was cold and hungry, nearly starving. I saw this place and walked in on the off chance that I could get something to eat. Jack lit up with a smile. Now I remember, he said, I was behind a serving counter. You came up and asked me if you could work for something to eat. And I said it was against company policy. I know the woman continued. Then you made me the biggest roast beef sandwich I'd ever seen, gave me a cup of coffee, and told me to go over to a corner and enjoy it. I was afraid that you would get in trouble. Then when I looked over and saw you put the price of my food in a cash register, I knew then everything would be all right. So you started your own business, old Jack said? I got a job that very afternoon. I worked my way up. Eventually, I started my own business that, with the help of God, prospered. She opened her purse and pulled out a business card. When you're finished here, I want you to pay a visit to Mr. Lyons. He's a personnel director of my company. I'll go talk to him now, and I'm certain he'll find something for you to do around the office. She smiled. I think he might even find the funds to give you a little advance so you can buy some clothes and get a place to live until you get on your feet. If you ever need anything, my door is always open to you. There were tears in the old man's eyes. How can I ever thank you, he said. Don't thank me, the woman answered. To God goes, goes the glory. Thank Jesus. He led me to you. Outside the cafeteria, the officer and the woman paused at the entrance before going their separate ways. Thank you for all your help, officer, she said. Oh, on the contrary, Mrs. Eddy, he answered. 
Thank you. I saw a miracle today, something that I will never forget, and I thank you for the coffee. Well, what would you say? Was that a talent or a gift? Or does it make a difference? It was an opportunity. Today, I want to challenge us, you and me, to do two important things this coming year. Of course, you could start now. Um, first one is to look at the talent or gift that God gave you. You might have to look deep. You may have been stuffing it down there for many years, but it's there. And pray that God will reveal it to you and use it. If we bury it and don't use it, we're just like that lazy servant. The good news is God has not returned yet, and so there's still time for us to make the right choice. The second thing I want you to do is to test your beliefs. No matter what church you're a member of, even this one, make sure that what you believe is in line with what Scripture says. If you see anything different, change it. Because God's answer is always the final answer. If you do these two things in a new year, if this should be the year that the Lord does come back, you'll be that servant hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. The greatest danger we face, other than the two things that I've just mentioned, is to keep the talents, blessings, gifts, and opportunities we have and do nothing with them. You might as well bury them. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the gifts that you've given each of us, even when we're lazy. We appreciate the opportunity to do something for you, to multiply our talents. And Lord, I know as we use them that you'll give us more joy in life of serving you. Pray, Lord, as we face this new year that you'll help each one of us to rededicate our lives to you, to put you first and foremost and most important in all we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.